This week's episode is brought to you by BitRise. BitRise is a continuous integration and delivery service for your mobile apps. They support building, testing, and deploying for iOS, Android, Xamarin, or any hybrid platform. They have more than 170 open source integrations, which can be used to customize your workflows for different scenarios, and even have a CLI to run those same exact workflows locally to reproduce and debug errors, or just experiment. So head to bitrise.io to learn more and sign up today. Frank, we've released some applications together and individually we've worked on lots and lots of GitHub open source projects and NuGets. And sometimes these libraries and open source projects are really well done. Well, they're all really well done, but some of them, you know what I mean? The romancing of the GitHub, the README, the wiki mm. article, all this stuff. And we've badges. talked about this, the badges, the CI, the CD, we've talked about all this, but I am actually working on like real, real software that's really going through CLAs <laughs> and is being deployed under the Microsoft namespace. And Ooh. this is like real ridiculousness, but it also had me thinking about software different, about how I release what I call real software, like that I have my plugins and all this stuff, and also my play software, which I kind of just throw up a GitHub project. I'm like, yeah, here we go, okay. have fun. And each of them have a lot of different things to go into them. So I thought today what we could talk about is what we each kind of do when we determine when we're open sourcing a project and some of the auditing that goes into releasing kind of our own real software, you know, because we, we, we both write real software, but <laughs> what we go through on the library level and on the app level. So that's what I kind of want to unroll today. Okay, so I see what we're doing. We're drawing a line in the sand and we're saying these are the toy projects and these are the for really real ones. I can go along with this. Yeah, it's it's possible. Certainly, I have um, that line in the sand for me is usually whether I release an app or not is whether it actually um, <laughs> has gone through all this uh, process of thinking about it and being professional and being realistic about it. But yeah, okay, libraries on GitHub too. Definitely, I have the ones that I put a lot of effort into and definitely the ones that I <clears throat> don't. <laughs> well, and and when you think about the libraries you create, okay, let's take We for instance, which seemed like you wrote it for yourself and then it kind of grew really fast and you've really mm. audited and brought up a lot of things to a level. It's not even at a 1.0 release, but so from a library GitHub perspective, yeah. like, do you consider it like real software at 1.0 for yourself? Or when do you consider it like, no, no, I think I'm good. And I've brought it to that level of professionalism. Oh, it's definitely an active decision. I, th I think we have to be serious about it. Um, so with me, what I tend to do is write a lot of demos of things. And that is like, I implement a small feature. And I'm like, Oh, do I like this feature? Do I like what it does? Do I like how it behaves? But I don't kid myself. I don't think that that cute little demo is ready for the public or for anyone else other than me. And so the decision then becomes, um, am I going to work on this? Am I going to maintain this? Am I, is it going to be something that like I'm going to put my name to and actually read issues about? Or is it something that I just want to share with people? and show them. So it's an active decision. In the case of we, um, basically, the moment I had the tech demo working, I decided I actually want to release this as a for real Z real library. And that's when I decided I got it into CI. That's when I started looking over all the code and tightening up interfaces. So there's definitely a distinction in this world. And I think it's one that you ac actively have to make. 
when I release a project or a library is I determine at that point, all right, am I just under active development and I want this to be in GitHub because I want people to give me ideas and feedback on it. And I think where I draw that line and how I make it an official official project is I ship that library inside of my apps. So for Monkey Cash, mm. it was fun. It was out there. I had samples. I had API docs. I go, this is very simple. It had CI. It had CD. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have API docs like a Microsoft docs or uh, really nice getting started pages. I just had a readme, but yeah. it, it was enough. Yeah that I felt really comfortable with it in general. I didn't have a, a read the docs website or anything like that. It's a little bit too much for me. But what I said is, okay, I'm going to mark this as 1.0. I'm going to, well, have a you know beta flag. I'm going to ship this in my own applications. And if it's good enough for me and I can ship it myself, mm-hmm. I'm good. And in the case of we, what I think is actually interesting that many people don't know or may know because you and I have <laughs> talked about it so much on this podcast <laughs> is... I think I may have helped you bring it up to that level. I just want to say by building an entire website <laughs> and forcing your hand on a lot of things. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, no, you definitely did. Um, <laughs> that that was also a case of you being in a different area than I was looking at. In particular, I was looking at apps and you made a proper website out of it. So it was like a whole different area that like I knew it could support, but I wasn't so confident <laughs> and, and definitely had to, had to do a lot of bug fixes for you there. Yeah, and I think... What's interesting too, even at the progression of we, is that as I look at how things have occurred, what's so important about this auditing early on is it actually saves you a lot of time. And what I mean by that is, as if you look at the we docs now, or even my monkey cash docs now compared to the V1, there were so many mm-hmm. questions. There was everyone was just asking a oh, question yeah. all the time. And you know how you stop ask you, you stop people from asking you questions is you put it in your readme and you just say, read this, <laughs> yes. this thing and get started. And people are like, oh, I can read this and know how to get started. And that's a pretty big distinguishing point. Oh, oh, it is. And and I've, I've really taken it to heart. I think we did a whole episode on documentation, but I'm going to repeat Miguel's phrase one more time. If it's not documented, it doesn't exist. And so in the case of a new library, no one's going to enjoy your library if you don't have a super simple getting started, if you don't have... You know, I don't do an API reference, but we can talk about that later. But at least, you know, a few guides, like here's how to generally use it and uh, get into it. Here's what the API looks like. You know, I I was thinking, though, um, about that kind of litmus test that you said that you had about um, releasing a library in your own app. And I realized that I actually went in the opposite direction when I first started in open source software. So I wrote an app and then there was a piece of code in it that I thought was, oh, isn't that clever? I think other people could enjoy this or make use of it. And I would take parts of my app out and release it that way. Mm. So in some ways, to me, they were already battle tested and hardened. This was good code. It was, and so the, the library looked a little sloppy, but you know, the code was tight. That's actually really interesting um, because you're able to then reflect on it. And this is something that, you know, we're working on this project. It's open source. It's this essentials project. We've talked about it as Caboodle, Project Caboodle. And Mm -hmm. this is something that's quite interesting because it enabled me to reflect upon all of the work that I've done over the years and plugins and say, what did I like? What didn't I like? What APIs have changed? Because the platforms are apps. We've talked about it that 
you know, so everything new is coming out. iOS 12 will come out, you know, later this year. I mean, it'll just happen. And then mm-hmm. do we still want to support iOS 10? Should we rip out those APIs? How much work is it for us to actually handle that? And I think for me, creating a brand new library with all of this knowledge led to kind of a better API service that it was in this existing, all my existing libraries. And we could restructure things mm-hmm. and say, this is how you do exceptions for everything. And this is how you make the API for everything and make it all uniform and make it pretty and, and handle device support. But at the same time, you still need to actually, at the end of the day, ship it to production. And when we made the decision that we're not at production yet, but when we get there, we want to do this audit, which I mentioned earlier. And you're like, I don't know what that means to audit this, this audit trail, Mm -hmm. if you will, almost like a paper trail of where is this API at and how confident do we feel that it is at that one point of level? That's what we're in right Mm. now. Mm. So that's auditing. Yeah, we were talking about this before we recorded. And um, you mentioned this word, and I was like, what are you auditing? And then, then I imagine I was first imagining old FX cop rules. Remember that? So like, did you spell this word correctly in your member name? Is your method start with get or set? You know, all this stupid inane stuff that you really shouldn't bother yourself with. And so I'm like, ew, you have to go through that auditing process. But then you started talking to me about it. And what it really is, is API design reviews. And you're taking a moment to actually design instead of, you know, uh, we need an API to talk to the geo, whatever the heck, in five minutes. Uh, Write it. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go. And so it's kind of awesome that you're able to sit back and take the time. Now, you also have elicited memories of terrible API design meeting arguments I've been in. And so I worry a little bit about, um, well, you tell me. Uh, are are you in like uh, design by committee mode? Are we having lots of arguments about <laughs> somewhat inane things? <laughs> well, I think that this is what's interesting is working on this project um, is that we upfront decided on a very specific type of architecture and statics and, mm. and things like this. Mm. Uh, big fans of statics and they make things <laughs> one namespace, the statics and you're just a C programmer at heart. Yeah, that's true. I just love it to go back to my glory days. And what's interesting about how we decided to go around this is everyone has their own opinion. So we really actually conflicted on quite a few, quite a few issues, which is how do we handle permissions when someone doesn't have a permission? How do we handle, is this API supported? How do we handle, is it supported on this device or this level? How do we describe that to the user? And Mm -hmm. We actually went back, which was interesting, is everyone wanted to have an is supported. Just put is supported. Just, you know, is supported. And then you go, okay, well, this class has eight APIs or eight Mm -hmm. functions in it. Is the first one is supported? supported? (laughs) Is is that one supported? Then you really have to go back. So we went back to the trail to say, hey, what if we went exception first? Because you can always add APIs, but you can never remove APIs. <laughs> so this was one of the first decisions that we did. And every every single pull request, so we did have CI, we had Style Cop, we had all these things in place, which was really nifty up front. Like the very okay. first thing we did is add all that. Style Cop is like my new right. best friend. It's phenomenal. So I, I'm excited. Um, we should talk about that actually a little bit later too if we have time is because i would like to hear how you're actually running that oh yeah it's good and 
So that was one of the first decisions. And then even today, we decided, hey, how do we handle when certain things need to be created or invoked on the UI thread? Case in point, when you're doing geolocation, the CL location manager actually has to be created on the UI thread for it to properly give Mm. back location updates based on the context that you're creating it in. Should we handle that for the user of the library? Android and I and Windows work fine no matter what thread you create it on. <laughs> do, do we handle that? Do we document that? And, and, and we had to bring those into each and every single API. So we, we took a lot of what GitHub does now, or any you know Git or source control with pull requests and really had a fine granular control of, of change requests. And I would say that not every first PR got sucked in. In fact, you would see a lot of these things going through review and this becomes the audit trail is sometimes the decisions we make later on impact the decisions up front. Um, so I originally introduced a compass API and I was like, Hey, why don't we do a, uh, it'll, the method will say, start, you know, start monitoring and it'll take in an action for the callback. And then we looked at the other APIs and they're all event-based events. Yeah. And then some are reactive, and you have so many options. This is where, like, oh, it can be so hard. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's true, and it's true. And so you say, okay, well, that one actually made it through pull request, but was that correct? And you have to have people that are looking at this stuff. I think is the interesting part because we said, okay, well, I know that I want this action, but Matthew, he's it should be an event. Okay, well, what does? the user of the library expect and well done user expects an, an event mm-hmm. actually. So that's we look, what does Microsoft do? What does the windows team do? What does the UWP, do? what do these do that are correct? And do we change all of the APIs or what's the best for all the APIs? So those are the audits of the APIs is this um, kind of making things familiar, every single API that we have. So if you have a, a class, it shouldn't act completely different than the other one from a usability standpoint. So there's this kind of design. It's almost when I think of a branding, uh, uh, design book, (laughs) if you've ever paid for brand marketing, they'll give you a branding book. And that's almost my book of here's how we design APIs. It's very funny because I was just writing down the note design Bible because that's that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, Used to do this a lot in embedded software world where even if it was just establishing a name guide at some point of just what we're going to call things and how we're going to address them. I do love these kind of design rules and everything. And so I just wanted to make one comment first. Boy, you're lucky, aren't you, to be able to um, solve these big cross-cutting concerns like permissions and all that stuff in a very um, consistent way across a bunch of libraries. I think it'll give the whole thing just a good feel. So I just wanted to make that comment that it's kind of exciting. Don't screw it up, James. I hope not. Um, but <laughs> it's open source. You can review others- it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, speaking of open source, this, um, these design decisions and all that, are they documented anywhere? Did you go to that effort of actually trying to write it down in words, uh, all these decisions that have been made? That's a good question. Uh, (laughs) so we have a contributing guideline actually. And what's interesting about that is we have a little bit of a wiki page set up of how you can contribute code. What does, what do our issue tags mean? What does, 
uh, how do you create proper API documentations. And we also do have some guidelines. Essentially, we just point to the style usage of .NET Foundation, and then we say that, but we don't use private. We don't use underscore. We don't use S underscore. We camel case for internal okay. and private, you know, things like that. Um, but that's a uh, low level internal stuff. I'm thinking more at the high level API level. Like, does it say anywhere? Um, we love static classes. <laughs> Are those words anywhere? Um, we do. In fact, on the readme, it says it says that we love static <laughs> classes. Correct. And we, oh, we, we talk okay. about how we architected it and, and things like that. And uh, I think I think we probably this is a good feedback, right? Because we've been up to this point taking some public PRs, but trying not to because we want to get to a V1 um, mm-hmm. as much as possible. So surprisingly, yeah, we we do have some nice documentation of how to handle Android-specific concerns of libraries and the contributing page. And at some point, you can only, I guess, document too much. But I think most of it is probably between just the developers. And then ideally, when I think when new developers come to the project, they look at how is the existing code structured, you know? And one thing that we really did is we have a proposal. So whenever someone wants to implement a new API, they actually have to document what the API would look like, what any of the classes would look like. And even before implementation starts, we review that API there. So that's mm-hmm. something that we kind of do. How, how did you establish those rules? Because now we're talking about... Um not just a real open source project, but one that you, uh, it feels like you're trying to create a community around kind of, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm saying that wrong, but you want contributions in a way that they will be accepted. You don't want people just willy nilly going around. And <laughs> I just think that that's such a big difference. Like I didn't design we that way. I don't tell people here's how to add components to we because, you know, I had a design set fixed in my head, but your library is complicated because in the end, literally anything could go into it. <laughs> and so you have to make some tough decisions. It is tough decisions. And we, we wanted to have a, a mechanism and we have a wiki page of how do you propose new ideas? Here's what we're expecting. And just being really transparent and being honest with people, I think has been really good. You know, we did take some PRs early and I think adding any PR is uh, adding whole features to a project is really hard and it's time consuming on the contributor side and the main maintainer side, because we have our ideas of how we want this to be done, especially so early. And we haven't even shaken through all of the the issues um, that we have. So I think what we did is we treated each of the developers working on the project as if we were contributing out from the community. So this means, hey, when you find a bug, just don't create a PR, create an issue. Um, and the PR mm-hmm. has to have GH with the number inside of it. And and then, you know, whatever the, the issue is. And when you create a pull request. What's this GH thing? Sorry. Yeah, so, so we created this little mechanism that just our own branding, which is we say GH, GitHub, dash, whatever the uh-huh. issue number is. So immediately when you're on the pull request page, you can say, oh, that's GitHub number issue number seven. Oh, okay. Funny linking system. Yeah, just a weird naming system. (laughs) We saw that from, I think, Cake or somewhere else. We're like, oh, we like that. We're just going to adopt this. And (laughs) we leveraged what we had, which is, hey, GitHub offers issue templates, pull request templates. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that when you do a new pull request, you actually 
are given, it's really slick, um, on there, you're given, uh, you're given like a checklist of things that you need to do. You're given, you know, links to fill in like what APIs change, things like that. So we, we attempted to try to solve all those tricky parts up front. Mm-hmm. So later on, yeah. when we went to audit it, actually audit our V1 release, we were in a good space. So we, I guess we should talk about the actual auditing process, right? Um, but maybe we'll take a break first. Yeah, let's take a quick break before we go into the the, the depths of the auditing, <laughs> which is probably one of my favorite parts, actually. And thank our sponsor this week, our good friends over at Syncfusion. You know them. You love them. They're Syncfusion. They build and deliver all of the awesomeness for your applications so you don't have to. They have over 800 components and frameworks for .NET and JavaScript, ranging from WPF, Xamarin, Xamarin Forms, iOS, Android, ASP.NET, everything that you can imagine. And the things that I'm talking about, part of their developer um, uh, toolkit gives you all of the controls, components that you could possibly want. So the charts, graphs, um, optimize the list views, um, table views, Excel, PDF viewers, calendars, schedulers, Kanban boards. That's right. You can just drag and drop a Kanban control into your application. It's bananas. It's awesome. Um, and if you're editing or viewing Excel, PDF, Word, PowerPoint, you drag and drop them in there. It's absolutely phenomenal. And if you need to visualize data inside or outside of your application, you also have the dashboard infrastructure. You can tie up any of the data sh- that's coming in from SQL, from other backends, and visualize it in rich charts and graphs that you can publish on the web. It's really, really cool. I love it because I love dashboards and I love charts and graphs. Who doesn't love charts and graphs? The best part about Syncfusion is their pricing structure. If you're a small startup getting started, they have a great community edition. If you're making under a million bucks, you get everything included for free. And then for each of them, they have a single flat rate fee uh, starting for a single developer pack at $2,000 um, and going up from there. And you can choose all of their controls and everything like that. So where do you go to learn more? I'm glad that you asked. You go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. You can learn about all of the awesome controls for every single platform that Syncfusion supports. And thank you, Syncfusion, for supporting the show. You said uh, everyone loves graphs, but I was actually thinking everyone loves dashboards. And I wish I could make a career out of just writing dashboards. I love dashboards, too. And I, I just want to spend all day making dashboards. I'm like, oh, what system do you have? I'll make you a dashboard. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, whenever I'm given a task of, hey, can you visualize this Visualize this and put it in some charts and reports? I'm like, I can. Yes, I will. I don't know if it'll be right, but I will do it because I and like I'll charts and graphs weeks. and dashboards. Playing with the fonts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, auditing. Yeah. I mean, well, what, are getting... we, what are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking about like a meeting that you have that you're recording with people? Are we just going back and forth on GitHub issues? What is the actual actions taking place during this? So, so our audit is, it's kind of weird. I don't know why we came up with the word audit, but we <laughs> didn't want to use the word review, I think, for some reason. <laughs> so everyone's gun shy. <laughs> I think so. So John Dick and I go, hey, what's all the stuff that we need to do that we still haven't done yet? Like for yeah. a proper release, mm-hmm. what are the things that have been on the back of our mind? Kind of when you go into a release, you're like, mm, I think I wish I should have looked at that or I wish someone would double check that. And what this means for us is we wanted to have a full API review, like an entire API review of every single thing that we did. And that means 
are we hiding API things correct? Do we have proper tests involved? Are things internal? Should they be private? Should they be public? Um, did we use a consistent API in every single class and every single mechanism that we have inside of this? Did we use async await correctly? Are we awaiting when we should return a task? What are the overhead there? Mm -hmm. But most importantly, number one, the linker, how optimized oh. <laughs> is this actual library? And that was really important. Yeah, I could see that because this is kind of a kitchen sink library, at least it's sounding like. So you easily run into the a chance of it getting over like, what, a couple megabytes? I don't even know what you're at now, but I, I could easily see this thing growing pretty quickly. So, um, but again, um, so these, these are good goals. Um, it's that last 20% that takes 80% of your time. So it sounds like you're just trying to actually codify those so that they're not going to surprise you at the end. You're not flustered trying to do a release and as you rush to draw like icons or so, things like that. So uh, how long do you think you'll be uh, auditing for? Is it 20% of the time or is it 80% of the time? Well, I think what we did is we said, this is what we want in V1 release and no one can work on V2 nice. things until V1 is done. Perfect. Just no, just why yep. don't do it. Yep. A few V2 things may have stuck <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. So we, we get excited. And and honestly, this also helped because we said going up to V1, we may have to remove some APIs because this is something that needs a lot more thought and doesn't shouldn't be part of it. So each of these become tasks. So making the API um, linker safe was a task that I needed to break down and we needed to integrate that into our tests. We also needed to review hey, is this, should this API be used on this platform or is there a new API available? Mm -hmm. For instance, there's a lot of new APIs in Android 23 and above and also iOS 11. So how do we handle that? How do we make sure the code is the same? We just ran into an issue today, which was some code duplication, um, which came in uh, a release. We changed some naming around and um, I wanted to change this string and I changed it in two places. And mm -hmm. Matthew goes, why don't we have a common place so we never have to update it in two places? And I go, that's a great <laughs> idea. And that's just one of those audits to say, yeah. where is the duplication of code that needs to go through these? So I think that this is an ongoing process that leads into the bug fixing part of it. So I think that what's important here is that since we're not in a V1 release, we can still actually change APIs if we need to. Uh, and at the same time, this means that we can get feedback, make these uh, audits better with the ability to change things. Because once we hit that V1, we have to be really solid for it. So I think we'll probably take the next month or so to actually solidify mm -hmm. a lot of these audits. Um, and those are those other things too. You're right. The artwork, the documentation <laughs> that goes into it. Uh, we have API docs. We have getting started docs. We have wiki pages. We have a readme. Uh, we have... <laughs> I don't know, the code, we have a sample, badges. we have device tests. How many badges. badges do you have? <laughs> we have three badges with a fourth on the way. Good, good. Uh, do you mind we if We have I... CI, we have CD. I don't know, we have all the things, you know, so I think we're pretty good. I, I have to get philosophical here for a minute. Do you mind? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So Go I've uh, I've been playing with neural networks. We all know I love playing with neural networks, and uh, really driving home the point of um, when you're training a neural network, you're basically searching for a solution, and it's really easy to find the local minima. So you're stepping along. You have a network that kind of works, and you try to improve it, and it improves a little bit, and it improves a little bit, and it improves a little bit, and you think, okay, great, I'm making continuous improvement. But the problem with local minima, as we all know, is you're not actually looking at the whole solution space. So you could miss like some other parts um, if you're if you're always being greedy, if you're always optimizing for the next part and the next part and the next part. And it's just making me think of these open source projects where with the issue system, we're always doing these greedy optimizations. We're always fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. And we never get a chance to do kind of the global search, the uh, big outer view where you look for areas that you haven't been in yet. And so just just rang that little bell true for me of what you're actually doing is uh, taking a step back from your greedy search and doing more of a global search. <laughs> just kind of found it interesting. Yeah, it's that's pretty accurate, I would say, to be honest with you. It's, it is taking that step back and, and looking at the, the, the larger picture of all of it and the impact that this library may have, but also thinking about the support and the time commitments later on down the road. Because if we launch without documentation, what's the adoption of oh, the yeah. library? What's our overhead of trying to answer every single question? And I cannot tell you how many mistakes I've made with my plugins. And honestly, if you look at a lot of my plugins, a lot of them now have this really rich GitHub pages that say, here's my getting started and here's all of the documentation that you need. And that cuts down my workload on a, on a huge basis, um, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, uh, the worst thing is to release a library and have no one use it. And people could not use your library for a lot of reasons. But I always think the number one for me is that initial getting started. Like, how do I just see this thing work? A, can I see a demo without doing anything myself? And B, can I run this on my machine quickly? And so um, when I'm designing one of these really real libraries like that, I make sure that that first run experience is not only easy and intuitive, like maybe you could figure out on your own, but also that it's documented and that documentation is short. Yeah. I don't want, <laughs> um, if we go back to Wii um, and the WebAssembly support I did, I actually finished the WebAssembly support, uh, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter when I finished it. And I was about to release it and I was like, okay, no, I got to write the getting started guide, how to actually use this thing. And I started to write the getting started guide and it was 10 steps, 15 steps. It was mm. long. You had to install software. You had to download this. You had to do that. And so that's when I took a step back and said, this is not the experience I want people to have. I'm going to take another week and keep coding on this thing until I have the getting started down to basically two steps. And it was... It was that difference of I, I could put this out there and hope people figure it out, or I just put in the extra effort to make sure this will run the first time people try it. And I think it's worth doing. Yeah, that's actually super important. I think I've spent the last week writing documentation in nice. in for official Microsoft documentation, which is super fun. And they just released a, a vi this is actually really cool. And, and this is very timely talking about this. I just tweeted out this new VS code extension 
uh, I'll put it in the show notes below, and I'm going to link to you right here in Zencaster. It's called the Docs mm-hmm. Markdown Extension for Visual Studio Code. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It is the coolest oh, yeah. thing ever. So you install this. Think of it as a linter for Markdown. And okay, and yeah. think of it as style cop for Markdown. <laughs> so okay, this is sounding terrible, but okay. <laughs> and and how about IntelliSense for Markdown and snippets? I'll like, take that. Yeah. So there's IntelliSense. There is. Uh, all this great stuff. So for instance, you can say, give me a table. And it's like, here's a whole table for you. Just here you go. Yeah. You know? Okay. I dig the snippets because, oh my God, every time I have to make a table and mark down, I have to like do a Google search. It's so bad. I just can't remember that syntax. Yeah. And this is one of those other things, which is consistency. We use StyleCop to ensure consistent, consistent naming, consistent spacing, consistent everything inside the application. <laughs> and oh with one exception, which is iOS, which should always be lowercase i, OS, and we have an exception there, suppression. But we think of it this way. How, how much easier is it for Frank to submit a pull request when he, the IDE has already gone through the checks to tell you that this will be this will not be submitted because all of this indentation and all this stuff is wrong. I mean, yeah. that's super nice uh-huh. that I can hit compile. And if it compiles, that means that I have formatted everything correctly. And if not, Visual Studio just tells me what to do. And there may be some discussion, but I think of that other additional um, onboarding of how easy it is to use my API, but how easy is it to contribute to this? And part of it comes down to writing documentation, writing, you know, writing, um, um, that pull request, um, information, adding little checkboxes, what are the issue tags and all those little things are on there. So to me, it's all really important. Um, little, little tiny, little tiny additions, I would say. Uh, so I do like linters. I know I was groaning a little bit there, but that's just because, um, whenever you look into that right margin, it's like, oh, you need to change 50 things in your code to be, (laughs) uh, compliant, compliant. Um, so I love linters that have been tuned down so that they're not so noisy, but actually bring up nice errors and everything. But at the same time, I totally get the problem you're going for here. You're trying to build a library that's going to survive five or 10 years. So you're demanding some level of excellence. Now, I would say, um, I want to talk about one thing that I fail at when I'm running one of these really real professional apps. I think the worst thing is when you create a PR and for some reason it fails on the build server and you're not familiar with the other person's build server. So you click the link, and maybe you don't have permission to access it, so you can't even see the error. Even if you do have permission, you have to dig through logs that you've never seen before because it's a complicated CI system that no one can comprehend, and you can't find the thing there. So I think um, in the getting started for people contributing, I wish I did a better job at bubbling up errors and things like that to make it clear when people's CI builds fail. Anyway, just a little tangent thought there I was having. Yeah, that one's a tricky one for us because we do build some things in Jenkins and some things in VSTS and some things are public, mm-hmm. some things are private. <laughs> but even still, if it's public, even Jenkins, to for me to j- dig around in Jenkins, it's there's a reason it's called Jenkins. Uh, I'm like, what is this? What is that? You know, and you know, there's some intricate parts. You need to be proactive on it, I would say. And I think when people are doing PRs, just kind of help along. But yeah, it's so interesting, yeah. honestly, uh, when we come down to the auditing part of it, because, you know, we looked at the linker and we didn't make it a concern to begin with. And we 
kind of got lucky with our architecture that we didn't have to add very many preserve flags. But I went through and yeah. part of this audit says, maybe I should ask an expert. Like maybe I should go ask the runtime team is this correct? You know, what is the overhead of this? Yeah. Uh, and that's something yeah. that not everyone has. But when I was building Monkey Cash, guess who I asked? I asked Frank Kruger, is this the correct way? In fact, a good thing to do is if you know who the expert is in a category, just ping them on GitHub. We did that when we were creating our file helpers. I said, I think this is correct. Frank, Frank, what do you think? You know, and we had a huge discussion <laughs> about it and you chimed in and I got lucky that I know you, but at the same time, if people ping me on issues, we have this with multi-targeting, Emo pinged me on a documentation thread and he pinged a few other people said, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? What do you think? And I, I said, okay, I can, I can give one minute to help you, you know, with this documentation or this API. Why wouldn't I? That sounds great to me as an open source contributor. I want to give back. And we had a lot of people in the community, even though they weren't contributing code, they were contributing their thoughts on the API. And I think that's part of the <laughs> audit too. What are your thoughts on the API? Yeah, but those are the discussions that can be never ending. And I think um, those emails are like catnip to me. So I actually have to avoid them. You got lucky. You must have caught me on a day that I was actually looking at my email because um, I, I, I don't want to say this because it'll cause trouble in the future. But I love being asked my opinion on a source code <laughs> design. Like, who doesn't want to like say, well, I think you should do it this way or that way. But the problem is I know I love doing that. And so I don't actually like participating in these discussions because I think, um, uh, what is it? I'm not good at having the discussion. <laughs> I'm not good at compromising on designs and things like that. And But at the same time, boy, I see that email and I just want to respond to it. Who, who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? That was, that was a tricky one, to be honest with you, because part of the audit process of getting this feedback, you have to make a decision and you have to live with that decision and, and everyone kind of has to come across it. So we do a weekly, a weekly meeting where we raise these issues and we say, okay, we're going to make a decision and it's going to happen. Not that we may not change it down the road, but at the same time, you know, I think it's really important that you just say, this is, this is it. This is how we're going to do it. Let's get this done this week and let's then get feedback from it. So I think, I think all mm -hmm. parts of it are quite important and having those discussions are really important because if we had not asked you or asked somebody else or gotten that feedback, you still kind of live in your little isolated bubble in a, in a way of this is my, what I think is my perfect API. And and there's a difference, right? Are you creating the API for you? Or are you creating the API for the masses? And that's probably a different discussion. <laughs> yeah. And and I think you should also be aware that like, maybe you don't even need a detailed review. I think, you know, to, a way to avoid people like me who would be like, I, I would design it differently <laughs> is to simply say thumbs up or thumbs oh, good down. One, yeah. Is this a decent API or is this a bad API? Sure, things can change. Yes, we compromised here. Yes, you don't like the naming over here, but thumbs up or thumbs down. And I think if you just get a few of those, you'll have a general feeling for if this library is going to go well. I'd rather get 10 opinions than dwell on one person's refactoring <laughs> of the API and get stuck in that discussion. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that as we talk about this today, and it seems like it's a lot of work that I don't want to scare people away from making their own projects because <laughs> it's really that, that, that infrastructure of what level do you want to release on? And all my plugins, I think I've done a good job and I've iterated on, and 
I don't think all of mine were there on day one to what this project's level is. I like how this project was, but it's a lot of work. And Mm -hmm. I think all of my plugins, how I've created some infrastructure, how I've gotten CICD and I've kind of said, this is how my docs look. I'm pretty okay with it. I'm not, I don't have official API docs. I don't have this. I don't need it. And I'm really comfortable with this is how I'm creating this library. And because you can release a library and who knows, maybe a billion people will use it, but maybe 10 people will use it or maybe just you will use it. So don't overdo it, you know, I think is an important thing. Don't (laughs) overdo everything and don't feel like you have to, or else you're going to be in that continuous cycle of, of attempting to get it pixel perfect before release and no software is perfect. So I think that's something also to consider when, releasing stuff. I don't want to scare people away because I want, you know, obviously more people to grow, (laughs) but I also want to think about, Oh, what else could I've done? Or maybe I have a project today that is already shipping, but how can I make it a little bit better? How can I take it to the next level? And maybe it's just adding style cop and cleaning up your code. That's literally no API change, but maybe that's something you want to do. Maybe you want to, you know, audit your API after this. I mean, that's great too. I mean, everyone should do that or document, like you said, how do people do pull requests or how do people contribute code? Because that really helps, I think, grow your code base and makes people want to contribute. Yeah, um, that's great stuff. You just made me think of the <laughs> the one very specific thing I always do before I release a library is look at that public interface. Uh, you were listing everything, and I was thinking, what's more important, the getting started guide? Eh, yeah, you need one, but that's pretty easy to write. API reference. It's funny, you and I, we get a, we get along pretty far without ever releasing API references for our libraries. It's amazing what we get away with. And that's just because IntelliSense is good enough. People tend to figure it out. Um, but at some point, you, <laughs> you actually have to make um, uh, some real hard decisions. And those I tend to make at the public API interface. And I figure we start there, we start with a small, tight ship with a very clear way of being used and build up from there. And I just always found that uh, good documentation lacking. If you make a decent API, people will find a way to use it. Yeah. I would say there's one thing that I want to hint on there, which is kind of interesting, is that public API surface. What I found out while doing documentation is that sometimes I didn't really realize what my public API oh yeah was and yeah I mean you could have interfaces but sometimes it's is there a constructor that I forgot did I accidentally mark one as private or public or what are my imp- yeah. there's all these little things so we actually use mdoc do you know about monodocs mdoc at all uh yeah I do uh monodoc uh I'll just tell everyone <laughs> um it was instead of doing XML comments in your code uh you could write a separate file that uh instead of putting all the stuff in there the idea was the documentation for a method might be very long so there's no point of putting it in the code and so we put it into a separate file did I get that right is that what you're talking about yeah that's correct and you can actually run in ms build script so we actually have this documented and how we did it so Mm -hmm. you can kind of take a look so we integrated mdoc and part of the pull request is that you document your code and not in xml comments but inside of mdoc and that actually can generate a website and stuff for you automatically through some things but there's a really cool mac and windows app called um, doc writer where you point it at the generated file and it gives you a ui to fill in the documentation and that is how I found so many hidden little constructors and little things because oh, it, nice. it's going yeah. through and it's just scanning every little bit of it. And that's one <laughs> of those audits, right? Which is 
should yeah. the should this constructor be public or should it be internal or you know why should someone be able to create this location you know if you make it internal or private now then you are okay to make it public in the future. But once you make it public, you can't really make it internal again. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of our, I know that is, is one of those things where just make everything public, do all this stuff and let us do no. everything. Well, sometimes I don't want to, you know, and uh, I, I think it's okay. I, I do find this to be the the, the most, I, I sometimes worry that I obsess too much about public interfaces, but once you start looking at your library, uh, from this perspective, this isn't for apps, this is for libraries. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give a quick pro tip out there for those using Visual Studio for Mac. Uh, build your library, get the DLL, and then drag that DLL back into the app to open it in the assembly browser and set the assembly browser to public, uh, met, you know, public stuff only. And that gives you an easy way to... Um, uh, look at and audit. It's a funny word, but really think about what actually is public because I'm like you. It's amazing what like your fingers just type the word public <laughs> and you didn't realize it. It just like, oh, I never meant for anyone to see that. Yeah. And so I think you have to, you can't just look at the code and assume you got it right. I think you have to look at it from a different perspective using a different tool. Yeah. And there's one thing I did too on the audit trail, which was the linker part of it as I use dot peak to actually uh, take the pre-assembly and the post-assembly and compare compare the two, what was actually being <laughs> kept, what wow. wasn't being kept. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I wanted to see, like, was it true? Did the linker actually work? And yeah, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people creating libraries, at least for iOS and Android with Xamarin, don't know that you can add this linker safe attribute, which means that the, the compiler and the linker considers it one of the SDK um linkers and it will uh then link it in the normal default so you don't even have to go to link all extreme you can just say hey link this little thing and it will handle it for you um and because link all will try to do everything regardless but linker mm-hmm. safe says hey like i've validated that this works with the linker and and we found some weird edge cases where no this thing is getting removed why is it getting removed oh i gotta ask yeah. the runtime team you know so those little <laughs> things and you know dot peak is a is a free tool from JetBrains and uh, we, we, we use that. There's probably other ones to decompile the, the, the stuff, but I just know that one and it, it works. So, but yeah, all these little tips and tricks really, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just wrote a custom linker and no. <laughs> uh, the linker for mono is actually open source. You can uh, go to GitHub and download it and run it on things and it's installed by default. And so you can actually learn it's, um, uh, a funny little piece of software that you learn has lots of in and outs and lots of configurability. And you really can decrease the size of your app if you take the time to figure it out. Uh, it's always those reflection codes and what else causes linker trouble? It's basically reflection and sometimes templates, but it slips in. So I, I, I love that you're doing that. I've never audited I mean, <laughs> I fixed my libraries when the linker would break on them because that would be a bug and then <laughs> yeah. I would have to go fix it and put the preserve attribute and all that. But I never proactively tested the linker. So that that's kind of cool. That's a new step I might have to think about adding to my CI. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those extra things. And what we ended up doing there was we had device runners and, and things like this with XUnit and we turned on 
link everything and and guess what <laughs> if it's if it ran with no that it better run with all and that was kind of our our uh, our test is it better still work and that really yeah. actually helped quite a bit find some really weird edge cases but yeah i mean that's our that's our long drawn out audit trail of our production <laughs> plus i would say to the to the production. extreme i don't know yeah, yeah, you're you're ahead of me. I'm not releasing under a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking um I did want to give a little shout out to um the .net API design review on YouTube. And at first I was thinking, oh, if people aren't out there and don't get to participate in API designs, then they might find this informative because I sure do. I don't get to do many API designs. So I like to sit in on these meetings and armchair quarterback and pretend I know what I'm talking about. But then I realized most people have really real jobs and they're probably stuck in design meetings all day and are probably so sick of them. <laughs> Whichever one you think it is. But I, I enjoy those .NET um, API design reviews on YouTube. They're pretty great. Yeah. And I think if you can make API design reviews fun by not doing too much at one time, I guess that's what we kind of ended up doing is let's not take every single thing and let's, you know, this is the serious things we're going to take between an API design review and then everything else can be GitHub discussion, you know, Mm -hmm. or Slack. But yeah, even those YouTube videos can be kind of boring sometimes, (laughs) but they're still, (laughs) they're very informative though. So it's kind of worth it. All right. I think we crushed it. I think we literally talked about audit trails for APIs for way too long and so great. I, don't know, I had a lot of fun. Hopefully you had fun, Frank. Yeah, I hate that. I, 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 it makes me feel bad for all the ones that aren't getting this level of care and sophistication and love and attention. So I, a little bit of guilt associated with it, but it's good. Like always, we talked it out. I feel good. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Uh, thanks to our amazing sponsor, Syncfusion, for sponsoring this week's episode. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn about all their awesome controls. And of course, you can find the show absolutely everywhere on the internet. Mergeconflict.fm is your go-to where you can find our Twitter, which is mergeconflict.fm. You can contact us right there, right into the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. You can rate, review, subscribe on all of your favorite podcast applications. And I think that'll just do it for this week, Frank. Um, I think there's nothing else that I mm-hmm. want to talk about. So this has been another glorious episode of Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.